that is your gold for your business if you're a recruiter in, in my opinion whether it's the on the client side or the candidate side what you say in that paragraph or that elevator pitch however you want to put it that's the most valuable thing that you have Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm delighted to be joined today by Chris Danasso. Chris is the founder of Plumline Staffing Solutions with offices in both Austin and Chicago. And Chris started in the recruiting industry in 1995 as an account executive. Since then, he's worked for both small and large staffing companies, becoming a top producing salesperson and manager prior to launching his own recruitment business in 2013. Chris is also on the board of directors of the National Insurance Recruiters Association. Chris, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Mark. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. My pleasure. You were referred by our mutual friend, Gail Audibert. Uh, we love Gail, and so we have huge respect for her. So anyone she recommends, uh, I want to know about. <laughs> anyone who's a friend of Gail's is a friend of mine. She's great. <laughs> totally. Exactly. She is great. Um, in fact, she was on the show before. And uh, so for our listeners who want to check that out, that was episode 153. And the title was Meet the Recruiter Who Survived and Thrived Through Four Recessions. So um, yeah, she's just a, such a joy to work with. So thanks, Gail, for the referral to Chris. Yeah, um, likewise. So Chris, uh, tell me about like how you got started in staffing. Why why did you get into this business? Yeah, I kind of um, stumbled into it um, just you know not intentionally. Um, I was in between semesters in college. Uh, I tried my hand at telemarketing, and I worked for a company called Colorado Prime, and it was basically kind of like a home shopping club. They essentially sold beef over the phone. They sold other, other things as well. But, um, you know, I worked there for one uh, summer and I became like the top telemarketer in terms of my sales pretty quickly. And so I just realized that I had a knack for just kind of being on the phones and connecting with people. Uh, went back to college, graduated from school, and then um, I was looking for a job and a friend of mine's mother owned a staffing firm called America's Temp Corps. And they were they were more weighted in light industrial staffing. They did some office administrative as well. That was pretty big back in the '90s. And um, so yeah, he he said, hey, why don't you try this if you want to get into sales? And so uh, sat down in their office. She gave me a three a three page like bifold kind of thing and said, here, go sell this. And I had really no training, and she just kind of threw me to the wolves and. <laughs> the rest is history, I guess. That's kind of how I got into the industry. Hilarious. I don't think I've ever met someone who sold beef by phone before. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's not something I've heard before. So I, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I figured if I could do that, maybe there's something to it, you know? Right, right, right. And so you started in 95. I started in 97, which much the same thing. Like, here's a desk, here's a phone like go and uh, no clue what I was doing, kind of tried to listen to what other people around me were doing. But the problem is they didn't really know what they were doing either. <laughs> so yeah. like tried to figure out who actually, who here is doing well and I'll just try and copy them. And, and luckily there was a lady who I'm still friends with called Deirdre, who this uh, amazing woman from Northern Ireland who swore like a sailor and, uh, <laughs> but had a heart of gold. And she kind of took me under her wing uh, and, and showed me the ropes because there was like, the training was pretty minimal, but um, that's... luckily I, I kind of figured it out, but uh, yeah, not that's... the best way to start. No, I can I can relate. And at least you had someone. I, I literally, um, the owner of the company, her name was Patty. She literally gave me a trifold brochure and said, just just read this and and go sell it. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. That was the extent <laughs> of the training. And so I just had to memorize. I remember just memorizing that trifold. Uh, it was just a marketing piece. And I just memorized it. And I just would start making phone calls and trying to set up appointments, which is what I was doing at Colorado Prime. So I'm like, okay, if I could just get in front of them, that's step number one. And then if I can get in front of them, then I'll, I'll worry about that. You know, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. So it was just one step at a time. So similar story. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think there's something to that. Let's, I'm just going to make a note to circle back to this whole idea of, 
you know, selling and, and, you know, if you can, if you have a sales process and you break it down into steps, which every recruiting firm should have a sales process, uh, but is it documented? Is everyone following the same process? You know, uh, does everyone understand the objective of each step and how to get to the next step and so on? And sounds like you kind of intuitively did that. You, you sort of realized, okay, it's hard to really sell an intangible service just purely over the phone. Like, I guess beef, people know, you can describe what you're getting. People know what they're buying, right? Right. Whereas, you know, when you're selling a, a business service, then um, it's easier to do that face-to-face or or to build a relationship face-to-face. So you figured out, if I can just make appointments and get in front of people, then that will give me a better opportunity to actually do some business here. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So where did things go from there then? Yeah. So I worked there for a year and then they kind of ran into some financial problems. They had they had um, maybe like six or seven offices. They had offices in Florida and Illinois. And uh, the manager that I was working for left and went to a company in Chicago called Banner Personnel. And at the time, they were one of the largest privately owned staffing firms in Chicago. They had like 17 offices and um, it was a it was a pretty large um, company. And so she kind of brought me over there and I went there and that's when I started doing more like direct hire and um, all, all different types of industry. Fantastic. All right. And so how, how you, how long were you with Banner then? I was with Banner for nearly a decade. Okay. Wow. And you worked your way up uh, as manager and running offices, doing training. How many people were you responsible for? Uh, I managed our Oak Brook office and, and I, I kind of insisted when they promoted me into management, um, I just love sales. You know, I love the process. I mm-hmm. love the hunts. And so when they promoted me to management, I, I kind of, they promoted me with the stipulation on my end that I was still going to sell because I didn't want to leave okay. like getting in front of the clients and candidates. And so I, I, I was a selling manager and I co-managed the Oakbrook office with another gal and uh, we had about seven or eight people. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. And so, um, but then you took a, a sort of career break. Tell me about that and why you know that was important to you. Yeah. So um, change, career change, I should say. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, I'm a Christian, and one of my passions, my biggest passion in life, really, is just um, just my faith. You know, and so I, I left the corporate world and went into ministry for. Uh, 10 years and I was involved in a church plant in Chicago. And so it's kind of um, starting a church from scratch essentially. And um, so I got involved in that and helped um, help start this church and plant this church. And it grew to be a pretty sizable church. I did that for, I was part of that church for 17 years and, uh, wow. and then, yeah, I ended up leaving and going back to recruiting. Ultimately, my kids were getting into college. Okay. There was, there was a lot of things going on that, contributed to why I left, but, um, but left and, um, started Plumline in 2013. Amazing. So what do you see as being the parallels or the transferable skills for want of a better word between the, what the work you're doing in ministry and being a recruiter? Yeah, well, recruiting, (laughs) you know, with the (laughs) church, our side, our, our, that church grew to, you know, it was like, started with just a few people and grew to be about 1500 people. And so, wow. um, I, oh gosh, I was the worship big. pastor for, for the church. And so, uh, when I left there, we had 75 volunteers that essentially you have to recruit and train. And, and so I lead, I led all the music and musicians. And so I had a team of, you know, technical people running sound, audio, video lighting. I had, managed all the musicians, all the stage designs. So it was a, it was a more than full-time job. And, um, yeah, there was a lot of recruiting involved because you, you, you know, for our Sunday services, we had to have people in place because there was a lot of technicalities that had to be in order for every Sunday morning service. So it was, uh, it's pretty intense. Ministry is, uh, it's, it's busy and, um, and you're doing all these things that have to be done, but then there's the bigger picture of just why you're doing it. Right. Yeah, let's talk about that. Like, what f- f- 
philosophically, what, how does your faith inform the way you do business? Yeah, um, it, it really, it, it really impacts the way I do my business. I think in a big way. Um, you know, I think the word that comes to mind for me is just transcendence. You know, if you were to look up the word transcendence in the dictionary, it means extending beyond the limits of ordinary experience, you know, and I kind of bring that mindset into the way I run my business. You know, I want my, my company mission and my, you know, my business, my, my brand, if you will, to align with my personal mission in life. And, you know, and I want it to be every interaction that I have with candidates and clients. I want that to extend beyond just the limits of ordinary experience, right? I want my candidates to have an experience. I want my clients to have an experience that's just bigger, you know? And so, um, you know, I think it's just treating people right, you know, having character, integrity, um, you know, the, the, the world of recruiting. And I guess this is true for any industry. You know, it's not just about making money. It's about making an impact. And what's, what's, what's the lasting legacy that you're going to leave? Is it just that you were a great recruiter or you were, you know, made a lot of money or, you know, had success in your business or, you know, what was the impact that you had on, on people's lives? And I think that's kind of how I operate my business. And I always try to keep that front and center. I a hundred percent believe in that, Chris. And, uh, I think everybody at some level, or at least maybe you get to a stage in your career where that becomes even more important. Um, you know, once your basic, you know, need, you know, human needs are, are, are taken care of. I mean, obviously everyone wants to make more money and, and recruiters tend to be very money motivated. Sure. The other thing that attracts people to in particular start a recruiting business is to be, you know, to have that autonomy, that freedom, that flexibility to do things the way they want to do them. And, uh, and so more money, more freedom. And that obviously both those things are important, but ultimately I think for, to be fulfilled, you want to also make a difference and you want to have an impact and, and, yeah. uh, touch more people in a positive way. So, um, so yeah. that's definitely, I, I think important as well. Yeah. You know, I, with the people I've trained in this business, um, I try to keep it front and center for them too. And, you know, it's like you, you want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, but consequently it's good for business. You know, when you're Mm. doing the right thing, when you're operating with integrity, when you're putting others before yourself, when you're really caring for people, um, it's good for business. You know, that's not why you do it. You do it because it's the right thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think it's really impacted my business. I, you know, my wife, uh, she's no longer working, but she worked from home for, for years and her office was kind of across from mine and she could hear me doing my work a lot. And it never, it, it never, uh, ceased to amaze me or her because she would hear these conversations happening and people would say, man, I've worked with recruiters before, but this has been different. Or clients would say, this has like been a really good ex- experience. And she would after work say, Hey, what was that all about? And it, it happened all the time. And the mm. ironic thing about that was that I wasn't doing anything. It's not rocket science. I'm just, it's just really trying to treat people right and doing right by others. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it just, it just was always interesting that people would notice that because, so obviously that tells you what, it tells you that most people in their day-to-day course of doing business don't experience just being treated well or just being treated in a way that they feel you know, cared for or whatever. Yeah, I absolutely. Do you know, it's so interesting you say that. I think that's going to resonate for a lot of listeners. I did a LinkedIn post because I, I've noticed that a common f- experience among the best recruiters is exactly what you just said. Uh, the clients that we work with often will s- tell me that they've been told by their clients, candidates, uh, customers that wow, you're different to other recruiters that I've spoken to in the past. And so I, I had a LinkedIn post and that, that was my opening line. You're different from other recruiters that I've spoken to. And I just went on to elaborate like uh, that, you know, ha- have you heard this before? Like what's, and that got a huge response on LinkedIn because I think um, the fact that someone would say that to you on on the one hand, that's bad, right? That's That's a kind of not a good statement about our industry if right 
it's unusual, right? Yes. But on the yep. other hand, if you're the person who that is being said to, then at least it does tell you you're doing something right and you need to continue, you know, on that path. But uh, yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I was Did you have very, something you wanted to add, Chris? No, I was just going to say, it just, you know, over time, I just realized that that was the thing that kept happening. I kept getting these kind of comments. I mean, like weekly, it was multiple times a week. And so, you know, you hear wow. candidates say, well, you know, I had a bad experience with a recruiter. I mean, how many times have we heard that? Or a client would say yeah. that they, you know, I was working with this recruiter and the client says, hey, you're not going to recruit from us. Well, that's happened to them in the past, right? And so just kind of basic things that, you know, I would like to think most recruiters wouldn't do are actually doing. And it's, it's, you know, it has given our industry a little bit of a black eye. Yes. Can you recall like the, any examples of what would have prompted somebody to make that comment, Chris, like what would be the, the situation, which to you just seemed like that's the way that things should be done. But to them, it seemed, you know, out of the ordinary. Yeah, well, I'll tell you things that definitely surprise candidates. You know, I always, you know, look, as recruiters, what we're doing is very impactful, right? I mean, we're impacting people's life in a huge way. I mean, the only thing you do more than work is sleep, right? I mean, you work eight to 10 hours a day. And so when you're working with a candidate and you're, you literally, we're kind of acting as their agent. And in some sense, we kind of have their lives in our hands and we're helping them move in a different direction career-wise, which is going to impact their family and their kids and their livelihood. And that's a big deal, you know? And so I think too, too much is given, much is required. And we're given a lot as recruiters. We're really, um, you know, working with real people with real lives. And so, you know, some of the things I've heard in the past is just, that I think have taken candidates by surprise is just, um, you know, putting them first. Like I'll say things to candidates all the time, like, Hey, look, this is, this is not, this is about your career. You know, if this isn't the right fit for you, it's not the right fit for anybody. So I want to just tell you right now, just take me out of the, the equation in your decision. If this turns out to not be the right fit for you and we go down this path, this hasn't been a waste of my time. I mean, if you decide to take, you know, job B over our job here, job A, and going through this process with me has helped you determine that, then I'm happy because I've done my job and you're going to go in the direction that you need to go for your career. So I think it's just having that mindset of, you know, it, it's it's not about us. Like we can't expect candidates to do what we want so that we can make commission. I think I think we have to have the mindset as recruiters. And again, consequently, all this is good for business, but you have to have the mindset that, you know, the candidate has to do the right thing for them. And sometimes that doesn't include us getting a placement and that's okay. Um, and, and it's funny because the candidates that give me the most referrals are always the candidates that I've worked with. And then they end up not taking the job and they go in a different direction and they feel guilty about it because their experience with me was was such a positive experience. They feel like they want to make up for that. And so they'll send me tons of referrals. Right. Have you had that? Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, sure. Or it, they might become, if if their manager or director level, you know, uh, senior individuals, they could become clients as well. That's the other side of the equation here, right? Is if you've done, a, you know, you worked with someone and you've done the right thing for them and you don't end up placing them, but they still had a positive experience, then that's going to come back to you in some way or another. It, it is. It is for sure. Yeah. And I, I really think just, um, yeah, I think that's the most important thing as recruiters. And, you know, I can't emphasize enough. Like I said, when you, when you just operate, it's just putting others before yourself. And I guess our human nature, you know, we're going to feel like, well, if we do that, that's going to have a negative impact on our business because we, we have to be all about making the placement. We have to be all about, and it's like, no, you don't be all about helping the person and doing what's best for them first. And then everything, mm. it's like what Zig Ziglar said. I don't know if, you know, he's kind of old school, but Zig Ziglar said, if you yeah, can, yeah, sure. yeah, he said, if you can, if you can help others get, you can get anything you want in life. If you help others get what they want first. And, um, that was yeah. kind of a principle that he operated on. And I think it's true. You know, if you just put others people first, it's, it's gonna, that's going to pay dividends, you know, and it's, 
again, it's the right thing to do. You should be doing that anyway. hundred percent. It's, it's, it's funny. Zig Ziglar, um, I, uh, I used to have a coach called Carrie Wilkerson, uh, who's a lady based in Texas. And, uh, she got to meet Zig Ziglar before he passed. Um, and she was talking about it, but he's like, he's got one of those sort of magnetic personalities, doesn't he? But, uh, the other yeah. Zig Ziglar quote I liked is that, um, you know, m- motivation is like having a bath. We recommend you know, doing it daily or something along those lines. <laughs> I might be true. misquoting him. Yeah. You <laughs> need that. Like you industry. have a bath once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. you can't have a bath once and then yeah. think, okay, I'm clean now. I never have to bathe again. It's right. like, you can't just get yourself motivated once and then expect that, you know, it's going to last forever. Something you have to continuously work on is your own, you know, self-motivation, your own self-talk, your own self-discipline, you know, it's an ongoing process that, you know, never, ever stops. But uh, yeah. yeah, he was a he was a character. He was. Zig Ziglar was awesome. If you're a recruitment business owner, you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology. But how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients? Otherwise, overall, you're just making a financial loss. Our trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, plus it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all. iIntro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team, not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop a retained recruitment service. In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iIntro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. There's no obligation, plus you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Tell me, Chris, about um, getting your own firm off the ground because it's a very different thing. You are successful as a, you know, as a salesperson and as a manager with a company and an infrastructure and all those systems around you. But when you're doing everything you know, on your own, you have to wear all those hats and, and like you've, instead of having one or two jobs, you have like 10 jobs. Yeah. How did that, uh, how did that transition go? Yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. You know, you have to, when you start a business, you have to learn how to do everything, right? You're starting and it's just you. And so I had to learn how to get a website off the ground. And I wrote all the copy for my website. I did all the branding for my website. I worked with a, you know, I worked with someone, but, um, but so, yeah, you just have to do so many, so many things. You got to become an accountant. You got to become a a trainer. You got to, you got to focus on your business, build your sales, build your, you know, the whole, the whole gamut. And so it was, uh, you got to juggle a lot of things all at once. And that was that was challenging for sure. Yes. Hey, you highlighted four things there, which I just think you've absolutely, they were obviously the four to- things on the top of your head, but I think these are the four potentially most important skill sets or among the most important skill sets for business owners. So first and foremost is sales. Like sales, uh, if you can generate enough sales, then that solves a lot of problems in business, right? Yeah. And if you can't sell, then it's so hard. Like really nothing happens until you make sales and get customers, right? right. So that is kind of, I would say, I mean, all these skills are important, but I'd say sales is possibly the most important skill if you want to be successful as a, as a business owner, particularly within recruiting and and staffing. Absolutely. Um, And I'd love to talk more with you about that because it seems like that's one of your kind of core strengths. The other one that you said is copywriting and that surprises a lot of business owners. They don't necessarily think of themselves as writers or it's not a skill set they've really thought about, but more and more these days, being able to persuade, uh, write persuasively 
is critical, especially because unlike when you and I started in the industry where it's a purely telephone business, now so much communication is via LinkedIn, via email, that and trying to persuade someone through text is difficult, right? And get people to be in, intrigued and inspired enough to take action and to follow up with you and respond to your message. That is a whole art and science in itself. And it is. I think recruiters these days need to actually work on their copywriting skills. It's something that we work on with our clients uh, in our coaching community is really just building those copywriting muscles. Like we once, uh, well, twice a month, uh, every other week, we do a copy uh, critique clinic where people will share their email you know, messaging or their LinkedIn posts or their uh, LinkedIn messages or whatever. And we'll kind of dissect them and we'll analyze how good they are, how they could be tweaked and, and improved. Uh, because just improving your response rate to your emails, whether it's to clients or candidates, if you can improve it from like 3% to 5% or 5% to 10% or 10% to fit, that's a right. massive, over the course of the months and, and a year, that's a massive increase for sure. in the, uh, yeah. the number of placements you're making. So copywriting, you mentioned yeah. accounting is uh, the third thing you mentioned. And yeah. by the way, apologies for, I'm I'm on a bit of a, um, on a, a rant at the moment, but you've, no, you've just sparked it. something in me. Yeah. Um, my very first business, Chris, uh, not many people know this because I don't, it, it, it doesn't really come up very often, but I started my first business when I was 19. I got a franchise of a, uh, a painting and like a, a painting company. Okay. I don't know if this is still a thing, but when I, <laughs> I think we're similar age, but when, uh, when I was in university, they had this all over North America, these franchises for, you could be a student like business owner. And you buy a franchise and then you basically paint people's houses like all summer and you hire a crew of like other students. And <laughs> Coll- uh, was it College Pro? Sell. Yeah, it, it was a competitor to College Pro, but it's exactly <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I worked for them. Um, so I was basically the College Pro manager. Okay. Uh, our, our company was called Top Rung. So it was started by a guy who had been a College Pro manager and then decided he was going to become a franchisor himself. And he set up in competition at College Pro. But um, in any case, it was fantastic from the point of view of like sales train. My first sales training was with uh, was the, with that organization and like first door knocking and, and offering people free estimates and then going to people's houses and, you know, learning how to get them to hire you to paint their house. And they might be, you know, they're going to spend two, three, four, five thousand dollars to paint the exterior of their house. And you're this like 19 year old kid and you're, you're asking them to like give you this project so you can, you can project manage it and, uh, (laughs) and, and do a good job for them. So I was real good at the selling part but I had never managed people before and I'd never done bookkeeping. I was clueless about like financial management and right. I lost my shirt, Chris. It was financially, it was an absolute disaster. Oh, it's like gosh. I went into this thinking I was going to like make tons of money. I was like, in my mind, I was this like entrepreneur, right? And uh, I, I, I knew nothing. I was so naive, but I knew nothing about business or, or what you, it really takes to be successful. But uh, I, w- I thought my, I thought I was this big entrepreneur and um, hired uh, like all my friends. That was another mistake. <laughs> so I had like, I don't know, a 10 people working for me at one point, but uh, it was a disaster. Like the, the production was coming, like it was costing me more to do to deliver these paint jobs than I was like, I was charging the customer <laughs> so and uh, I ended up losing something like $20,000 in that summer. So, and I was working like 70, 80 hours a week. And instead of making money, I was paying for the privilege of working 70 hours a week. So I ended up in this huge debt. So the good thing with recruiting is I made enough money. I was able to pay off my debts pretty quickly. There but you that go. really taught me the importance of financial management and accounting. And, you know, it's not my forte still, but it's something that now I've gotten good at uh, just through necessity. So you really can't run a business unless you're on top of that. Yeah. Um, You know, here's the deal. I think when you're, when you're running a business, there's always like this 
super strong gravitational pull pulling you into things that you have to do, but you don't want to do, right? Yes. Like the administrative yeah. work, the accounting, payroll, you know, we do temporary staffing too, Our the business of Chicago. Yeah. So that has a ton of accounting and payroll and a lot of day-to-day things that have to get done in that side of the business um, yeah. as opposed to our direct hire side. But there's always that pull. I mean, I was doing my own accounting and be- I-, I actually became pretty pretty good at it, you know, and I finally just in the last two years um, hired my daughter. Now she's doing all my bookkeeping, all my accounting, and now we have a CPA firm that we work with. But it's been a learning experience. And I still to this day, you know, the biggest challenge, I think, for a you know, recruiting firm owner, if you're if you're kind of hands on in the business is just, you know, fighting against that administrative pull of all these things you have to do. And at the same time, growing your business, focusing on sale, closing deals, recruiting candidates. I mean, it's tough. And, and, I've, and I, I, it's funny because I, I probably am on the phones just naturally because my business has grown so much over the last decade. But I'm on the phones a lot less than I was initially. I mean, when I first started, I didn't have as much of those administrative tax. So I could just pound the phones and focus on growing my business. But I guess as your business grows too, you have clients, you have repeat business. So sometimes you don't have to market as much and try to get new business because you've got a base of loyal clients. And so that's why I think it's so important to really, when you get a client, keep a client. Like we, I've been super fortunate. I've you know, I have pretty much had a hundred percent retention with my clients and they're, they've all become friends and loyal, loyal customers. And so I really almost never have to, to market anymore. So. Interesting. I, I would love to talk more about that. That's whole, the whole sales piece I think is, and, and client retention. Let's, let's definitely talk about that. It's obviously something that's, um, you know, been critical to your success. The, the final thing that you mentioned was training and, it was something that you had done in your previous role, but something you mentioned is important when you're starting your own business as well. And I think, you know, certainly if people want to grow beyond just a one man band, then you have to embrace, like you have to actually love and, or learn to love training and coaching. Cause you are a coach. That's like one of your most important jobs. If you want to grow, yeah, then you have to, you have to be, come good or at least be passionate about developing people. And so sales, copywriting, accounting, and training, I think, you know, four things that you had to get to grips with when you started your business, which I think are super important for, for any, any business owner. Um, on the sales side, like wh- how, how do you go about winning customers these days, Chris? I know you said you don't have to do it as much because you've got repeat business. But having said that, well, my philosophy anyway, is that you never want to stop business development completely because you don't know what's around the corner. You can't control what's going to happen in the economy or like one of your clients, even if they like you, they may get purchased by someone else or your kind of your main, you know, uh, point of contact at a customer might move to a different company and then you don't have a relationship there anymore. So there are things that can go wrong uh, no matter, like in spite of, through no fault of your own, there's things that can adversely affect your business, right? So For sure. what's, um, when you're teaching your team how to do business development, Chris, what's the, what, what's your uh, sales process look like? Yeah, I, I like to think of it as kind of underselling, I, I like to call it. You know, I think the best way to sell is to not sell, you know, and just approach okay. it. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, so... Um, no, like I like to say things like if I'm if I'm trying to present our services to a potential client, I might say, hey, you know, I work for a boutique recruiting firm. We specialize in the insurance industry. Um, not sure, Mark, if if this is going to be the right fit it, for you and your your business. It may it may be, it may not be. But I'd love to you know jump on a call with you and just see if maybe our services align with what you're trying to accomplish in terms of talent acquisition. So it's really like right off the bat, like. I'm not trying to sell you. It's it's possible that we're not even the right fit for you, but let's just have a quick conversation. You know what I mean? That's what I mean by underselling. You know, I, the, to me, and maybe it's just my personality or my style, and I think everybody's got different strengths and different styles, but 
um, I, that's more my style than saying, you know, hey, hey, Mark, you know, our, our firm is, you know, uh, a sought after firm in the insurance industry. We work with many of the, the best brokers in the country. You know, we're, we're going to get you every we're going to fill every slot that you have open because that's just what you know what I mean? It's just like everybody's saying that. So that's just not my style. I'd rather just have more of a, a I guess, a humble approach. I don't know. Yeah, no, it's really interesting um, because I think the the best salespeople are not um, avoid hyperbole and over and and because customers just don't um, respond to it. They don't. They're automatically skeptical, right? It, and you have no no relationship. Then you it takes getting people's trust. Um, you know, is is the first challenge, right? You have to gain people's trust. And uh, if you come across too salesy, I guess for lack of a better word, then people defenses come up. Like the the yeah. they're automatically like resistant almost to what you are trying to um get across to them and and so by being a little bit softer and you're calling it like uh underselling um i've heard it described as softening so um i i took some sales training many years ago with a guy called art Sobchek, who was a telephone selling uh, trainer. I don't know if he's still out there, but if you find him on the web or find his book on Amazon, it's really, really good. And the training was all about crafting an effective opening statement so that when the, your, your prospect first comes to the phone, what do you say in the 30 seconds to like yes. get their attention and get yep. them involved in a conversation as quickly as possible? And he, in your statement, uh, he suggested using softeners. So for example, instead of saying like, as you said, like we can fill all your open slots. Um, he would say like, he said like, that's just not believable because you don't know their business. How right. can you like, you? how can you make that statement? And they, you know, it's just not, it doesn't ring true. So you would say, depending on how you're currently handling your, you know, um, you know, your, your, your staffing at the moment, we might have a solution that could help you to, or we have a solution that might help you to achieve A, B, and C yeah. and avoid, you know, problem uh, X, Y, Z, right? But it's using softening words like uh, potentially or might, you know, it's it to, to almost uh, make your claim more believable in, in effect. Yeah, I think yeah, there's some psychology there, right? I think that's at play there. Yeah, yeah and I think um, you know, to your point about having a really compelling, you know, w- when you approach a client or a candidate, right? I mean, we have to do it on two sides of the equation, right? We have right. to do it with clients, but then if we're, I don't know about your your listeners or how you you do your recruiting, but you know, I, I'm an old school like I every candidate that I recruit is at their desk. I'm calling people at their desk. I don't do a lot of, you know, I do sourcing on LinkedIn and all those other things, but most of my recruiting is done with me calling candidates at their desk. And so you've got like 10 seconds. I call it like your million dollar, you know, paragraph, like whatever you're going to say in those first few sentences, that has to be super compelling in order to engage them uh, hold their interest and make them stay on the phone for possibly 25 more minutes or 15 more minutes or whatever. And so crafting those kind of opening lines, whether it's with a client or with a candidate is like paramount to me. I, I, I would say my like paragraph, if you will, that's, that's worth $10 million. You know what I mean? That, 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 that is your gold for your business. If you're a recruiter, in, in my opinion, whether it's the on the client side or the candidate side, what you say in that paragraph or that elevator pitch, however you want to put it, that's the most valuable thing that you have. For, for I mean, at least for my oh, business. Uh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's it's so interesting because 
Um, when recruiting business owners join our program and they want help to make more placements, increase their billings, you know, be more consistent instead of be on this, you know, feast and famine roller coaster, or potentially to, to grow their business and and uh, hire recruiters. <clears throat> often they want us to work on on like things like, okay, how do I generate more consistent flow of clients, and you know, what should my messaging be, and so on, and. Until they figured out their elevator pitch and their value proposition, like what, who specifically do you help? Right. What problems do you solve for them? Uh, what value do you bring? You know, what results can you deliver? Unless you can articulate that succinctly in a way that is going to really resonate for your specific industry niche. Yes. Then none of the other wording matters. You have that you know, is going to be the core. And then from there, you can craft your telephone script, your email messages, your LinkedIn messages and everything else. But first, let's figure out the the word, the crafting of those few sentences yeah. that are at the heart of all of your other messaging. So for yeah. you, Chris, like what, sorry, I, I it sounds like you wanted to say something there. No, I was, I was just going to, yeah, I had a thought fleeting thought. Um, I think it's, we have to change our mindset too, I think as, because it's, when you call a candidate or, or a client, the mindset that I have is this call, I may or may not, they may or may not become a candidate on this call. They may or may not become a client on this call. This is just one link in a chain that might be a very long chain. And so as a recruiter, and I'm sure that you've experienced this too, sometimes I'm in contact someone f- with someone and in a relationship with a potential candidate for five, six years before I actually get them on an interview. And so I think when I, when I say change our mindset, we got to look at that first call as just one link in this process that might be very long. So when I make a call to recruit someone, my goal ultimately, yeah, it'd be great if on this call, they could become a candidate and I can have them up on an interview this week, but that's usually not the case. But my goal is what can I say on this call where I can build trust, where I can, you know, I'll say candidates, I'll tell candidates all the time. I'll say, Hey, look, um, a career move might not be on your radar right now, but you know what? It's a small world, uh, in, in, in the insurance industry. Um, you know, let's be friends. You know, I think I might be able to offer some things that, um, you know, you might, you might, I'll, I'll say things like, um, Oh gosh, uh, something I say very often. I'll just say, "Hey, you, uh, a career move might not be on your radar right now, but you know, the worst case scenario is I'm going to call you with opportunities that are going to be relevant to what you do, and it never hurts to hear about a good opportunity." You know, and so usually they're like, "Yeah, that makes sense. Let's stay in touch." And um, anyway, I, I got a little long-winded there. I kind of no, that's good. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Is like. When you're sitting down to craft that, what you call your million dollar paragraph, I like that um, term. Is that a Chris Danasso original? Is that your? I think I think I, so. Yeah, because when I train people, I'm like, this is the this is the gold. Like this is like you have to do because once you get past that first paragraph, it's just asking thoughtful, intelligent questions and controlling the right. conversation. If you could master right. that first engagement conversation, that's that's where the, that's the gold. I mean, that's, that's the hardest part. If you can pull that off really, really well and master that, the rest is going to be easy. Amazing. I I agree a hundred percent. And so Chris, like when you're crafting your million dollar paragraph, how is that structured? Or can you give some guide guidelines on, you know, the do's and don'ts here? Yeah. Well, if I told you my million dollar pitch, I'd have to kill you, Mark. And then that would go against my doing, doing unto others. If I, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, yeah, I try to, like I say, I try to undersell. Um, I try it. I try to make it very compelling and I'll switch it up 
once in a while, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I, I don't mind sharing, sharing, I, you know, when I call someone or engage with someone, uh, you know, I'll say, Hey Mark, uh, my name's Chris. You and I haven't spoken in the past. Um, I work for a boutique recruiting firm. We specialize in the insurance industry. Um, you know, let me just start by saying I wasn't calling with any expectations or assumptions. Um, not sure if a career moves on your radar. It may not be. But you know what? It's a small world in insurance, and at the very least, I'd love to, um, you know, I'd love to find out where you're headed career career wise. And at the very least, I'd love to send you my contact information. I'm curious, how long have you been with XYZ Company? And I just go right into it. And usually, nice. and I mean, I I have several that I kind of use. I kind of switch it up now and then. But I, I try to, like I said, I try to undersell. I try to give them some information that's going to at least engage them in some way. And and my direct hire business is exclusively in the insurance industry. And so I know how to talk mm-hmm. shop with these folks. And so usually if we can get past that first paragraph, we could have a really engaging conversation because they'll kind of feel like I'm kind of one of them. Definitely. It, it, that's so important that you are positioned as a peer and, and be one of your uh, your, your, you know, one of them rather than an outsider. I, I agree a hundred percent. I really nicely done, Chris. What about on the, no, in fact, let me park the can, the, the client side for a second and continue on the candidate side. Cause I have yeah. another question I want to ask you, which is you mentioned you're calling people at their desk. Are you literally calling into the office number or are you catching them on their mobile? Like what? Yeah, that's, your, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, so I use certain tools, like I'm sure you do, where I can get people's cell phone numbers. Um, And so I'll always try to get them at work first, because what I found is if I contact them on their cell phone and I leave a message, they're kind of like on to me and then they could just ignore my call. Or if I send a text message and then and then I ring their, if, if I send a text message to someone and they don't respond and then I ring them, well, when they look at their phone, they're going to see that text message and they'll, oh, that's that Chris guy, that recruiter guy. And I haven't even had a chance to talk with them yet. So my approach is always in terms of what I'd like to do first is try to call them at their desk at work and engage in a conversation there. And then if I could do that, then then I'll move it obviously to cell phone and all the engagements will be on cell phone after that. But I feel like it's, it's a better route to start there than to start with a cell phone. Have you ever dreamed of launching, scaling, and one day selling your recruitment business? If so, I highly recommend you speak to Recruitment Entrepreneur. Founded by former Dragon's Den star James Kahn, Recruitment Entrepreneur is the world's leading private equity firm specifically focused on the recruitment industry. They invest in startups and scale-ups and have already backed over 30 founders. There's no reason why you couldn't be their next joint venture partner. James's first company, Alexander Mann, sold in 2013 for $260 million. His second venture, Humana International, he grew with Doug Bugie to over 140 offices in 30 countries before selling to MRI. James and his team are actively looking for ambitious recruiters from across the United States and around the world who want to partner with them to launch and scale successful recruitment businesses. They provide the funding, expertise, mentoring, and back office support to make your dream a reality. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC as in venture capital. Book a discovery call with them and be sure to tell them that you were sent by Mark Whitby in the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. So this is really interesting because this is totally different to what most people are doing, Chris. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, (laughs) No, I am actually. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so your first step is call them at work and then if you, that doesn't work out, then you'll try their cell phone. Uh, and, and then where do you go from there? What's the, what other touch points have you got in your process? Yeah. Then, well, once, once, you know, there's some interest, mutual interest, then obviously, you know, it's going to go phone and email and text. And, you know, I get their permission at that point to be able to text them. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting nuance because if, like I said, if you, if I call someone on their cell phone and leave a voicemail, 
Well, now they know the purpose of my call. And if they're not interested, they're never going in, to, they're never going to engage in a call with me. And I never have that opportunity to, you know, offer my compelling million dollar statement or whatever. And you lose that opportunity if you jump the gun on the cell phone. So that's why I'll just continue to try at work until I can get them. If, if that goes on long enough and I just, I'm not getting it. Of course, I'll try them on their cell. And I'll do both simultaneously, right? The, I do, the goal is to get them on the phone. But if I can't get them to pick up the cell phone live, I don't want to leave a message or text message them because then they may not ever respond to my call or my text. So, But they will at work because, because they don't know, right? Does that make sense? Interesting. So yeah. I... Um, when I suggest this to people that they call Candace to work, they are horrified, especially younger, uh, younger folks, but even people my age, like, and, and it's maybe because you and I both started recruiting in the in the 90s, that was the only way you could talk to someone, right? right. See, we didn't even have email. Yeah. <clears throat> you literally, there was only one way that you could reach someone and that was on the phone. Uh, I didn't have a cell phone. Most people, a few people had cell phones, but it wasn't, you know, not everyone had one. So, um, but oh I gosh. find that these days people feel it's, it's rude or it's, um, it's going to upset people. Like they're really worried about a negative reaction to calling someone at work. And uh, what's your take on that? Yeah. You know what, Mark, I think we have to train recruiters to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. I mean, yeah. You have to call people, and this, this, gosh, we could, we can go on and on about this. I love where the conversation's headed right now, but yeah, this then comes down to really recruiting passive job seekers, right? Um, if you want the best talent, you're gonna, you're gonna get those people calling them at their desk because, like, for me, you know, I don't want the guy that's racing for the door at his current employer. That's not who I want because those candidates our clients can find through other recruiting channels, right? They can find those people on their own. I want to find the guy that's, or the gal that's blooming where they're planted. They're doing well. They're a valuable asset to their team. I want to call that person and engage them in a compelling conversation where I can at least get them open to the idea of maybe exploring other opportunities. So, you know, my, my, clients know that and I, I tell them all the time like I you know this is going to be the type of candidate that I'm going to present to you it's going to be a candidate that's not going to be available to you through other recruiting channels they're not necessarily looking so we got to work together as a team here I'm trying to make your opening compelling to them and when they start interviewing with you you got to close the deal I'm, I'm I'm you know I'm passing the ball to you at that point so there's some onus on the client to help get to the finish line. It's not just on me. hundred percent. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, so it, can I say one more thing? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just while yeah, I'm, I'm thinking down this train of thought, this is huge because I, I don't know, you know, about your listeners, but people are very surprised. It's very rarely rare that I have to send two people for a job opening. I am like, a, usually when I send one person, they get hired. Not always, okay, wow. but I'm usually, That's, I don't right. send three, four candidates for a job. I like that. That's never the case. I, I get the, my goal every time I recruit is to send the best talent that they're not going to be able to get anywhere else. And they hire them. Interesting. Interesting. That look, I, I'm going to park that because I want to I want to circle back to it because that's a that's a um, unorthodox philosophy, and I want to I want to learn more about that. <clears throat> First of all, though, this idea of calling people at work, um, how do you find people respond? Like uh, in terms of percentages, how many are like receptive or open to talking versus um, you know? trying to get rid of you what what's yeah. been your experience there yeah i you know honestly i i'd say man less than one out of ten people that i contact at their desk are going to hang up on me or be upset or anything like that i just i just don't yep. 
have that happen very often. And again, I think yeah. it just comes down to your approach and, you know, and, and that underselling piece, just kind of just trying to keep things real. Like, Hey, let me start by saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling with any expectations or assumptions. Like, look, Mark, you, you, a career move might not even be on your radar. Totally get it. You know what I mean? Having that kind of approach. So I don't yes. have people get mad or hang up. And because I know their industry, I, I think people, I think, feel more like I'm kind of more of a colleague than someone trying to sell them something. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, the response is, is pretty positive. If I could get someone yes. on the phone, if I could just get them live on the line, I, my chances of at least getting, you know, build, starting a relationship with them are super high. I'd say 75%. Hundred percent. Like, yeah, it's so funny. It's I. I. It's so much of this is in our own mind, right? And uh, and our our own perception is like, if you're afraid that somebody is going to be upset that you called them, then that's going to inhibit you from wanting to take that action, right? And oh, so, yeah. whereas somebody else who, like yourself, uh, who believes they're going to get a positive response from like 95% of people, then you're taking the action and you're also then the one who gets the candidate and builds that relationship. And the other person is, is going to miss out is ultimately what, what it boils down to. Um, And and the only difference is, is the psychology of the recruiter. You know, the, the difference isn't reality, objective reality out there in the marketplace. The difference is the psychology of the recruiter and what they are willing to attempt and, and, you know, and either, is there fears going to hold them back from taking yeah. action? And it's, yeah. it's amazing how just these, we're not even aware. I mean, it's hard to be aware of your own limit, limiting beliefs. And like, so the recruiters who tell me this, oh, that wouldn't work in my industry. My client, my candidates wouldn't respond. They'd be, you know, they believe that is factually true. Right. But you know, that's just an idea that maybe it's true, maybe it's not, or maybe it's, they've made that up in their in their head. So, yeah, there really is a psychology behind it, and you know, it's confident. Mm. It's like singing. I don't know if you can relate to that. I'm a musician and singing and stuff, and so it's like if cool. if you're going to hit a note and you're not confident that you can hit that note, you're gonna you won't. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. all up here, and so I think it's it's right. a similar. I think that's a good analogy because if if you're to your point, like if you're going into the call afraid, you know, it, it goes back to being comfortable, being uncomfortable. You know, you have to be com- yeah. comfortable and confident being uncomfortable and making that call, you know, and that and delivering that pitch. You have to be on your game. And, and I have days, honestly, if I'm having a, you know, we all have on and off days and on my off days where I'm just not feeling it. Those are the days where I'm like, okay, I'm just not. I'm just not there with my with my phone calls today, and I've been doing this for a long, you know, years, right? Two two decades I've been recruiting, and there are days where I'm just off, and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on you know LinkedIn and sourcing right now today because I'm just I'm having an off day, you know. So it's so there is a cool. there is a confidence or a confidence and a mindset that you have to that has to be really on point to to perform well. Yeah, you know, for, for sure, absolutely. So. Um, yeah, it, it. Sometimes I tell people, well, look, there's two ways of looking at this idea of calling someone to work. One is, <clears throat> why would you make the decision for some? Like, if this is the only, if if they aren't responding through other channels, why would you deny the candidate the opportunity to that could have a huge impact on their career? They're like, this could be life-changing for them. And you're deciding for them that they're not going to get to hear about it because you're not willing to call them at work. Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, The flip side of that is thinking, you know, imagine I was going to pay you a million dollars to call that person at work. Would you be willing to do it? Most people at that point like, well, of course, absolutely. (laughs) Well, why does that make a difference? Like, why does, you know, if you were willing to do it in one context, why would you not be willing to do it in this other context? You are going to get paid a, a, you know, a sizable fee, placement fee for placing that individual. So, you know, but suddenly if you inflate the amount to a certain point, then people's inhibitions suddenly miraculously disappear, right? Yeah. You know, uh, well, it's like public speaking, though. 
You know what I mean? People right. are, if you look at statistics on what are the, the, the five things that people are most terrified about, it, it's like yes. one of them, one of the top things is public speaking. And, yes. you know, in this industry, we're kind of unicorns in that sense because most people can't do what we do. I mean, the average person can't do what we do because they're just terrified of, like you said, calling someone at their desk or cold calling someone. Um, you got to love doing that. I, I honestly, that's why I insisted when I got promoted at Banner, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be pushing pencils and managing people. And that's all I do. I would just shrivel up and die. Like I love getting on the phones. I love engaging with people, talking to people. I love the challenge of getting on a phone call with a complete stranger that's never heard my voice before. And in 20 seconds, trying to take that cold call and turning it into this, you know, trajectory that leads to them getting a new job. To me, man, that's what gets me up every morning. That's like the greatest thing ever. Amazing. I love that. And I can hear that, Chris, your, your passion definitely comes through. So listen, we're out of time for today, unfortunately, because I, I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Mark. This has been uh, such a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.